You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. These verses uh, 26 to 38 of Luke 1 um, are the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world. I'm old enough to remember when the first man landed on the moon. Remember watching it? Uh, like, oh, that is great. <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> I remember watching it, uh, and, and as, as the, uh, the astronaut came down the steps, was it Neil Armstrong, I think it was? Uh, the commentator said, and this is what he said, that this was the most significant event in human history. Utter nonsense. I mean, what benefit did that bring to mankind, putting a man on the moon? And now they're going to do it all over again. Spend more billions and billions of dollars. Uh, Anyhow, let's not go down, uh, get sidetracked here. But here in these verses is the most significant event announcement of the most significant event. The incarnation. Uh, that is, that God became man. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is a passage here before us that, that we should read with mingled wonder, love, and praise. And, and I want to look at this passage under four headings. First of all, I want us to notice the message is announced. The message is announced. According to verse 26, the angel Gabriel is the messenger and his message is truly amazing. Firstly, he told this young girl, he told her that in a very special way, she had found favor with God. And on hearing this, Mary was speechless, unable to grasp what this meant. Uh, Look at verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She was absolutely stunned to think that she had found favor with God, with Almighty God. And there's a lovely lesson in humility here, isn't there? We were talking about humility this morning. You know, isn't, isn't that a wonderful picture of humility? Here's a young girl, and Lord, what on earth do you see in me? That, that's really her, her response to, to the angel Gabriel appearing to her in an obscure part of the world. <clears throat> and, and so it, it's, it's, it just amazes her, and, and she cannot understand it. But, but secondly, the heart of the angel's message was even more startling. Like her cousin Elizabeth, she was to give birth to a son. And in this case, her son was to be called Jesus. Verse 31 tells us that. Now, somewhere along the line and, uh, and over the years, that, uh, the simplicity and the humility of this young girl has been replaced by totally unscriptural dogma. 
and, and it's a well-known fact that the Roman Catholic Church, and, and it's not the only one, uh, that pays an honor to Mary hardly inferior to that which it pays to her blessed son. She is formally declared by the Roman Catholic Church to have been conceived without sin. Does that mean another virgin birth? Because that's the only way that anyone can be born without sin. Uh, there's a question in the catechism about that. When you go home, look it up, question 16. You see, the Lord Jesus was not conceived by ordinary generation. Everyone who's conceived by ordinary generation inherits original sin, every single one of us. Every newborn baby is a newborn sinner. We're not sinners because we commit sin. We're sinners because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Isn't that how David describes himself? But the Lord Jesus was born by extraordinary means, as we discover a little later. And, and, and of course, Mary is venerated in spite of what she says herself in verse 47 in Mary's song. If you look down there to verse 47 of this chapter, we'll look at verse 46, the beginning of the song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So if Mary is rejoicing in God, her Savior, it's because he saved her from something. He saved her from her sin. And so she's held up to Roman Catholics as an object of worship and prayed to as a mediator between God and man, no less powerful than the Lord Jesus himself. And all of that, I would argue, without the slightest support from the Word of God. But however, while we say this, we must in fairness admit that no woman was ever so highly honored as the mother of our Lord. It's, it's evident that one woman only out of the countless billions of women in the human race throughout history, only one could be the means whereby God could be made flesh. And the Virgin Mary had the mighty privilege and the great honor of being that one. By one woman, sin and death were brought into the world at the beginning of time. And by the childbearing of this one woman, life and immortality are brought to light when Christ was born. No wonder then that this one woman was called highly favored, highly favored and blessed. She is the blessed Virgin Mary. She is highly honored. To be favored or highly favored means beyond what we deserve. And if you're looking for a definition of grace, that is exactly a definition of grace. To be treated beyond what we deserve, that is grace. And, and you know, there is a relationship to Christ within reach of us all. A relationship for near, uh, that is far nearer than that of flesh and blood. A relationship which belongs to all who repent and believe. 
Whoever does the will of God, says Jesus, listen to this, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So we can enjoy the same relationship that the Virgin Mary had with her son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does the will of God, says Jesus, the same as my brother and sister and mother. And one day a woman said to the Lord Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you. Do you remember his reply? Yes, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. A message is announced. You're going to have a baby, Mary. You're highly favored, Mary, by God. And then a miracle is assumed. That's the second thing. And Mary's first words to the angel were, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Verse 34, a perfectly logical uh, reply, if you like, to the angel Gabriel. Now, I'm staggered actually at her being able to carry on a conversation with the angel Gabriel. Imagine the angel Gabriel appearing to you. Just think about that. We're so familiar with this story and the appearance of the angels, and we take it all in our stride because we know the story. But here's this young girl and an angel, Gabriel no less. The same Gabriel that appeared to Daniel is appearing to her. And, and she's able to answer him, how will this be? I know the news that he brings is startling. And, and, and she has the, the wherewithal to say to him, how, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, whereas Zechariah, whenever the angel appeared to him, he just didn't believe it. He refused to believe it. And, and so he wasn't able to speak until John the Baptist was born, do you remember? Mary did believe Gabriel here. Mary did believe him, but was naturally puzzled as to how such a thing could be achieved. Now again, we're familiar with the concept of the virgin birth because we've been taught about it since we were children. It, it's, it's a miraculous, totally miraculous event, but we're familiar. Nobody had ever heard of this before. So you can understand, how can this be? Now the difference between Zacharias and and. Uh, Mary here is, with Zacharias, it was a sin they committed in refusing to believe. It's a sin to doubt that God will do what he says he will do. That's a sin. But it's not a sin to admit ignorance of how he will do it. And that's what Mary's doing. She's admitting that she doesn't understand how he's going to do this. And the angel's answer to Mary is breathtaking. Look at it in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So what's going to happen here is a biological miracle resulting in what we now call the virgin birth. And the power by which God did this was the power of the Holy Spirit. And the principle under which he did it Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. 
To us, it's impossible, but not with God. Now, just think about that. Is this not reminiscent of what God does in salvation? To be saved is nothing less than a miracle. Nothing less than a miracle. By nature, what are we like? The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. As dead as that would. And when a person becomes a Christian, what happens? I think in the words of the authorized version, it says God quickens him, makes a person alive. There is no greater miracle than this, than a person being made alive. It's nothing less than a miracle. Death to life. Darkness to light. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, makes us alive. God does it. It's God who does it. It's a spiritual it's a spiritual act. And the principle, nothing impossible with God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to take heart from that. Because you may have family members that you're concerned about as I have, who are not Christians, without Christ, without hope. I've even praying for them for years, and you see no difference in them. And you think to yourself, they'll never become Christians. It's impossible. Certainly, humanly speaking, it is. But take heart, nothing is impossible with God. It's God who makes alive. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to pray for that person, to plead before the throne of grace for God to come in mercy and move in their lives. Your responsibility and my responsibility is as we are given opportunity to share the good news with them. And there is nothing harder, I would argue, in the Christian life, as far as, as far as evangelism is concerned, there's nothing harder than trying to share your faith with those who are nearest and dearest to you. But that's your responsibility, that's my responsibility. And it's God who gives the increase. It's exactly the same way as what happened here with Mary. How did it happen with Mary? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And to see it happen is amazing. Now, I have four children. I wasn't at the birth of any of them. Wild horses wouldn't have dragged me anywhere near it. I'm a wimp when it comes to hospitals and all that. And I don't think my wife, in fact, I know my wife didn't want me to be anywhere near it. 
It was a different day then, okay? And I took great comfort from the fact that my local GP then said, no place for a man at all. So I took comfort from that. But, but I hear people testify of the experience of watching their child come into the world. And, and the, thing that, the thing that they say, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Now, in that sense, I'm sorry I did miss that. But I've seen it in the spiritual sense, and it's exactly the same. I, I've, I've had the privilege of being like a spiritual midwife, if, I can, if that's not a contradiction in terms. But just to be there, have a ringside seat, and seeing someone become a Christian, move from death to life, when suddenly it all becomes clear. And, and their eyes are opened, and they understand. And, and honestly, in those situations, I'm as useless as a midwife is, because really, what can a midwife do when it comes to the birth of a baby? My son, who's a doctor, I maybe shared this with you before, he had to attend, uh, deliver six natural births. And I, and I was amazed. And he is called Adam, and that is his name, Adam. We didn't, we didn't change it. I says, I, I was amazed. I, I, he says, Dad, what could I do? All I could do was catch them whenever they come out. Now, I know what he meant. And it's exactly the same in the spiritual realm. We have the privilege of sharing the gospel. It's God who does it from start to finish. From start to finish. A message announced a miracle assumed. And the third one is the Messiah anticipated. The Old Testament is full of prophecies about God sending the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And amazingly, the first veiled prophecy was made to the devil in Genesis chapter 3. You know what? Genesis 3 and 15. Let me read you the exact words. Genesis 3, just after the fall of man. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. He's speaking to the serpent here. That's the first mention of the Messiah in the Bible. He will crush your head. Notice that the one who would eventually conquer the devil would be the seed of the woman. Isn't that a strange phrase? Whereas one normally speaks of the seed of a man, but it's the seed of the woman. And from then on, one detail after another was added until we come towards the last of the prophecies before the Messiah comes. Verse, verse 32 um, verse 32 he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever his kingdom will never end will never end <clears throat> notice particularly that the child was to be holy verse 35 
The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He's born holy in his character. Something impossible if he was conceived in the normal way. Again, let me refer you to Psalm 51, verse 5, where, where David reminds us we're conceived in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. But not Jesus. Jesus was not conceived like that. He was to be without failure because he was to be without a human father. In a way true of no other person, he would be called the Son of God. The virgin birth is at the very heart of the gospel. The gospel falls if there is no virgin birth. Because the one that was born to die had to be sinless. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. It had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. So a message announced, a miracle assumed, the Messiah anticipated, and lastly, the mystery accepted. However marvelous all this sounded to Mary, it remained staggeringly mysterious. And yet at the end of it all, she accepted it all. And her final words to the angel were this, were these, I am the Lord's servant. Verse 38, be it to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. Be it to me as you have said. There were many things that she couldn't understand about this. This just blew her mind. But, but there's a, an important lesson here for Christians. And it says, we are not always clear as to what God is doing in our lives. Let's be honest, very often, very often we're not clear about what God is doing in our lives. God knows, but we don't know. God's ways are often mysterious, and walking in his ways can sometimes be perplexing and even painful. The trials that we go through in life, and we know that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and he's leading us through these, and we don't understand. And yet we're called always to submit to his good pleasing, and perfect will. His will is always good and pleasing and perfect, whatever that might mean, in order that God might be glorified and Christ exalted. But finally, there's a lesson here for unbelievers. And with this, we finish. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here and you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Well, I want to tell you, you are not called to understand all God's ways. Nor are you called to understand everything in the Bible. I don't understand everything in the Bible. And better people than me don't, a lot better people than me don't understand everything in the Bible. And so many unbelievers use this excuse. They don't understand. They use that excuse to avoid the issue. 
Well, let me just remind you of some things that you do understand, some things that you know. Everyone here understands that each of us one day will die, and after this, we'll have to give an account. Everyone understands that. Everyone understands that unless we repent, we will perish. Everyone understands that. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. Can I refer you back to this morning? Why do we believe the Bible? Because it's true. Because it's God's truth. Everyone here understands that the Christ, this baby, understands why he came into the world. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He came to save his people. And everyone understands that in order to be saved, they've got to put their trust in him, not in themselves. So, unbeliever, you are called to obey. Just as believers are called to obey. You are called to obey, to obey the word of God. That is the first duty required of men. Isn't that how the catechism puts it? What is the first duty required of men? It's to obey the word of God. That's all men. Mary obeyed, and her life became unforgettable in the annals of human history. She will never be forgotten while time remains. Everybody will know of the Virgin Mary and what she did. What about you? Are you going to obey? Because if you obey, your life is going to count for something. It's going to count for time and for eternity. And it's going to bring glory and honor and praise to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.